Welcome to Super Magic Agency Powers, the podcast that explores how to upgrade your soft skills. They're the things that make you amazing at your job and essential to making your technical PR and comm skills work. I'm joined by Alex Lewington, who's in charge of the PR and comms team at Ruben Sinclair, which is a specialist PR recruitment firm. Although she's one of the bosses there, she's still an active recruiter and she's got a diverse range of clients, including a lot of the big agencies out there as well. She also works with the PRCA, she's the chair of the recruitment forum, where she helps communications professionals deal with talent retention and acquisition problems that they may have. So thank you very much for joining me today, Alex. No worries, thanks for having me. You have been at Ruben Sinclair a while now. You've been there for yep. I'm, I'm <laughs> nearly say, nine years. Nearly nine years. In that time that you have been recruiting PR people, specifically agency people, mm-hmm. have you seen much of a change in the skills? Because it's quite a long time in PR. It is. It is quite a long time in PR. It's quite a long time in recruitment as well. Okay. And um, <laughs> I, I was trying to, to sort of think about this and, um, and think about how the skill sets might have changed. And I think actually the core skills that, that employers are looking for ultimately haven't changed that much in that time. And that's quite unusual. It's quite strange really thinking about the fact that the industry has probably actually changed quite a lot in that time. I still think media relations is at the top of the list for certainly kind of um, account director and more junior candidates. I think um, whilst PR has become so much more than just media relations and um, and encompasses so much more than um, than just kind of picking up the phone to a journalist and, and, and doing sell-ins, I still think that's ultimately at the, at the core of what a lot of um, a lot of PR people are expected to do and so those media relations um, skill sets are still incredibly valuable. Um, writing um, is still a massive part of, uh, of a PR person's um, job and, 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 and absolutely I don't, I don't think there's any uh, any job specs that I get that have ever kind of said oh we don't need somebody to be a good writer don't worry about their writing skills that's that's not important it's it's always something that, that, that people find um incredibly useful uh and particularly if if your agency side i think the other thing is um is the softer skills like the the kind of the client servicing skills being a really great communicator um being super organized having the ability to juggle multiple different projects at any one time um all of those kinds of things uh they're again they're not going to change because that's ultimately the agency model that's what that's what agencies are built upon. With technical skills, they, they vary from agency to agency. You do things slightly differently. But the things you can test, how do you go about at, at recruitment stage finding out what somebody's soft skills are, such as those client handling things? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really good question and it's a really difficult one. And I think ultimately, um, with a lot of clients, it, it very much depends on what those soft skills are. I think the, the interesting thing about soft skills is that Um, different agencies might consider some of them more important than others. And um, part of our job as recruiters is to become very intuitive about what our clients need and also get really under the skin of what our clients need and then uh, sort of, I guess, benchmark against those specific clients as opposed to just blanket kind of um, judging everyone by 
um, by sort of blanket conditions or, or blankets of skills that we're, that we're assessing for. I think there's various different ways of doing it. Psychometric testing is becoming more and more popular, I think. Um, that didn't, I don't think psychometric testing was particularly uh, widely used when I probably first started out in recruitment. And now actually a lot of our clients do get candidates to do psychometric tests at um, certain points throughout the, throughout the interview process to assess things like um, the verbal and numerical reasoning, but also you can kind of understand a little bit more about their communication styles and um, and how they like to be managed and um, and what motivates them and, and those kinds of things that, that you can find out through, through these psychometric testings, which isn't necessarily, we don't typically find that our clients um, would discard a candidate because of the results of a psychometric test, but it is useful to, um, to understand perhaps what you might need to question them more on um, in perhaps a later interview. You might need to drill down in certain areas uh, more than you might do other areas based on the results of psychometric testing. So I think that's a really valuable tool for, for employers to, to, to use if there, if there are certain um, soft skill sets that they are wanting to, to delve down into deeper. But I think a lot of it is, is kind of intuitive and, um, and, and values-based as well, because I think a lot of the soft skills that, that clients are looking for are some of the, the values of their agencies and so you kind of have to start questioning questioning people um on on on, on sort of values based um uh, on a values based question so um if one of your your values is um to be curious for example and that's what you're really looking for in people people with curiosity and eagerness to to learn more um you might ask them a question about um when they've had to demonstrate curiosity in their previous role or where they've shown that they can be curious and find out things that perhaps their counterparts couldn't. So there's certain different ways of, um, of questioning people if there is a certain sort of attribute that, they're, that you're looking for, I suppose. Is that a key factor, do you think, in retention, uh, hiring people that fit in with your values in the first place? Absolutely. I, I think so. I think um, values values-based interviewing is, is really important uh, now more than ever. I think the one thing that pand- the pandemic has, has taught us is from a, from a candidate perspective, candidates want to, to go into a company where they feel like they belong and they feel like they're valued and they feel um, a sense of synergy with that organisation. And that typically comes from having similar values to, to a company. Um, and I think long term, it's very unlikely that candidates are going to last in any job, in any industry, if they're not in a company that has a similar sort of set of core values to you. And that might not be, that's, I think one thing that people do fall down on sometimes is is getting values and personality kind of confused and hiring based on personality and gut feeling, which is, is very different to, to, to values. You can have sort of exactly the same values as somebody, but not have much else in common. Um, you might have very different interests and um, very different ways of spending your weekends, but you, you can have the same core values as them. And so I think people get sort of a bit sort of nervous about saying, oh, we hire based on personality and we hire based on gut feeling because that you shouldn't do because then you'll end up with a load of clones in your in your business. Um, but hiring on values, I definitely think is um, is, a, is a great way to, to improve retention and, and ensure that you're getting people that are bought into kind of long-term vision and um, and long-term sort of way of thinking that's that's fascinating so we're talking about getting past personality because you might just hire a lot of people who are like you mm-hmm. which is going to yeah. make your uh, less diverse thinking well less Absolutely. diverse the company there's a 
massive diversity problem within the PR industry. Um, and a lot of companies that do hire based on on sort of gut feeling and personality and and I mean, it's natural in a, to a certain degree. You, you do kind of hire people that look like you, talk like you, have similar hobbies to you because you just, you have a bit more in common with them. And so you feel like the conversation is flowing better and it's it's understandable how that can happen. But it's really important that it doesn't um, for, for, for diversity's sake. Um, and a good way of, of countering that is to make sure that you're not just kind of focusing on somebody's um, gut reaction to somebody. You're actually focusing on, on their values as opposed to whether you like the person. And are people doing research into backgrounds in the way that, how can I put this politely, are they being stalked on social media by potential <laughs> employers is what I'm trying to get to? Um, yes, sometimes. Um, we have, we've had, we've had clients come to us and say, oh, this person's social media profile doesn't sort of really reflect, uh, what we'd want them to, to sort of be representing and therefore we wouldn't be taking them through. What, um, what kind of things have come up if you, if there's anything you can tell me? <laughs> um, so I guess it varies. I think, um, any sort of, uh, on, on Twitter, any really strong opinions, um, whether they're political opinions or, or otherwise, I think as a PR person, I suppose you could argue, um, that they should potentially be a slightly more diplomatic in the way that they're putting, um, putting those opinions across. Right. Uh, so that can sometimes go, go down badly in other times though, for another client, actually, they might really appreciate that that person's really opinionated and they might really value the fact that somebody's not afraid to kind of speak their mind. So it, I think ultimately candidates just need to be themselves. And, um, if that's not right for a certain company, then there's no point in trying to hide away from that or shy away from that, because if it's not right, then it's not going to work long term anyway. Um, but yes, clients they do do digging um but i think as long as you're true to yourself and your social presence represents who you are as a person in normal everyday life then i, I don't think that, that that's too much of an issue i guess if you're a pr person and you're on social media from a from a, an employer's point of view you're demonstrating whether or not you can do the job as in do you know how to communicate in public and behave like yes. a, a grown-up yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and the way that you put across your argument might be more important than the argument itself and the content right. of the argument. So um, I think that's something to, to kind of be mindful of. Uh, but you can use your social presence uh, from a from a candidate perspective to, to do much more good than it can do harm. So uh, utilising the um, blog posts and, um, and creating your own content and um, even just following the right people and um, and showing that you're engaged in the industry sector that you're that you're working in, I think that can massively help when um, when employers are looking at your your social background and what you're what you're putting out online. I always used to say that look, if, if there's a PR person in front of the camera, then something's gone wrong. So we we <laughs> kind of hide behind the scenes as much as we can, and unfortunately, we forget to represent ourselves. We're quite bad mm. at personal branding because we're so good at doing it for other people. Do you think that PR people do have a personal branding problem? Yeah, I think maybe. I think um, I think P some PR agencies definitely do. I, th I look at some sort of, and I'm looking at it, I suppose, from an employer brand perspective, as opposed to a, um, as if I was a potential client. But certainly when we are looking to work with new clients or new clients ask us for their help, um, obviously we're gonna do our research on them and, and see what their kind of employer brand looks like, because uh, ultimately we're going to have to sell the opportunity to um to candidates and um yeah some of them are terrible 
it's, it's really ironic that they're very good at, like you say, they're very good at doing it for their own clients. But as soon as it comes to doing their own kind of branding, um, they're, they're just not not very good at it at all. And I suppose that, that probably can trickle down into um, on, on an individual level as well for the for the individuals within the organisation. And I think ultimately it's it, it's the same in every industry. Recruiters are notoriously bad at recruiting for their own teams, but very good at doing it for other people's. Um, and I suppose it's exactly the same when it comes to uh, to, to PR. I think. I guess the, the priority is, is is elsewhere. What kind of benefits are, are you seeing now that people are really attracted by? What are the, the newfangled things that people care about? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, and it's a really difficult one to answer because ultimately um, benefits are such an individual personal thing that different candidates are looking for, for wildly different things. And I think it also varies depending on seniority quite a bit. Um, I think at a, at a more, more junior level, um, some of the things that might be attractive to, to sort of more entry-level candidates um, might not be so attractive to senior candidates and vice versa. Um, I think you just think about different things at different stages of your life that then become more important. So it's, it's quite difficult to, to make a, as a, as a company, it's quite difficult to make a benefits package that's attractive to, to everyone. You can't be all things to all people. Right. But I think, interestingly, the flexible working thing has come up time and time again over the last 12 months, I suppose, when um, if you'd have asked everyone at before the pandemic whether they'd like to work from home a bit more everyone had just said absolutely I'd love to work from home more and now I think everyone's thinking oh my gosh if I have to spend one more day in my um working from my kitchen table then I'm going to scream so um so that's probably changed slightly but I think the one thing that has remained is that there is a demand for some kind of flexible working um and this is at all levels now i think um i don't think anyone really wants to work remotely a hundred percent of the time but pretty much everyone wants to have the option to be able to do it at times so i think that's something that we're getting asked time and time again what's what's a company's policy after covid in terms of work from home is there flexibility um what does that look like? And so I think that's that's kind of here to stay. And I think that's going to be a demand for, for candidates um, across the board. I think another thing that um, that a lot of candidates are asking now um, about is, is wellness. And this is quite broad, but wellness packages um, and what employers are doing to help the mental and physical well-being of employees. And again, I think that's something that's been um, pushed to the forefront of candidates' minds over the last 12 months because we all know everyone's mental health has yeah. been affected during the pandemic. It's um, It's been very, very difficult for, for everyone, but certain people more so than others, I suppose. Um, but some employers have been really, really great in terms of um, putting together um, training and um, offering counselling and um, offering various different kind of um, mental health initiatives, I suppose, to, to ensure that their employees are, are, are looked after in that respect. And so I think things like that are, they're sort of softer benefits. They're not the kind of healthcare, the pension, those kind of things. Those kind of things are, are of interest, but they're not going to sway somebody. It's the softer benefits um, that show a company really values and cares about its employees. That's what's going to kind of attract somebody to a business. What's one of the big reasons that you see, or what are the big reasons that you see for people leaving their jobs at the moment? Um, I think it, it comes back to a little bit what I, what I was talking about earlier in terms of what candidates are looking for. That's on the flip side. That's also what they're looking to leave. So um, being undervalued comes up time and time again. Um, I think 
being undervalued can come in many different forms and that can can, can be in the form of money ultimately that it can be terms uh, in terms of physical reward or tangible reward but I think uh, more importantly what we find a lot of our, our candidates saying to us is that they just don't feel recognized for the work that they're doing um, and that ultimately results in them feeling like they're overworked and underpaid and underrecognized and undervalued and that often results in, in them looking at new opportunities. Um, I think that's the most common reason beyond kind of um, changing the type of work that they're doing or, or sort of making an actual sort of like a career move into a new sector, for example, or or, or looking to change skills in, in whatever way. I think um, taking that aside, I think it's, it's, it's the feeling valued thing. Right. So being recognised, not just financially, actually made yeah. made to feel like you're a good part of the team yeah absolutely um and i yeah i think i think the recognition is really important and different people like to be recognized in different ways and, and not everyone wants to sort of be put on a pedestal in in a sort of a monthly newsletter and saying this is our employee of the month and they're great because of xyz mm. that's not that's not for everyone sometimes people like to be recognized um sort of more informally and in a one-to-one with their manager where the manager will say I think you're great you're doing a really great job for whatever reason um but I think it's really important for businesses to um understand how their teams like to be recognized and how um what sort of positive affirmation looks like for an individual um but I think whatever it looks like it needs to be done because otherwise that's that's a, a surefire way to, to lose somebody is by not recognizing their their worth I, I've sometimes found that people feel like they're not being recognised because they're not being promoted. And mm-hmm. that often results in this kind of race up the agency ladder of people who yeah. are uh, worrying, look, if I don't promote this person, they're going to leave, but they're not ready to be promoted. Uh, and I've got to say, a lot of people I've seen who have been promoted, who who just weren't ready for it, it was, yeah. it was a tick box exercise to a tick box exercise to help that person stay around. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the problem, particularly in agencies, is that there is a very linear route for progression. Um, So it goes from account executive to senior account executive to account manager to senior account manager. And that's kind of like, that's your route of progression. That's just what you do if you're in an agency. Um, And the problem with that is that it requires, um, it requires development and and improved skills in one specific or, or certain areas that not everyone can be great at so people management for example mm-hmm. um in an agency people management will sort of typically get thrust upon you whether you're ready for it or not right. and whether you're good at it or not <laughs> because it's just part and parcel of the typical linear model um so unless you're a good people manager you're never going to be ready for a more senior role within an agency because that's just what the agency more senior role in an agency looks like and actually i think agencies could do really well at looking at where they can value people and promote people into positions of greater responsibility without necessarily going down the more traditional linear route um and and giving them responsibilities in other areas that they might actually really excel at and that will help people become feel like they're progressing and feel like they're being valued but not necessarily pushing them into roles that they can't do because it's just not a particular skill of theirs Mm -hmm. is that happening with specialized roles are people specializing in things more yeah i think um they are and i think certain agencies are doing that more now um, and restructuring so that they have kind of 
specialist teams or specialist individuals that will be their kind of media go-to or their copywriting go-to or their social media go-to or whatever it might be. Um, and that's 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 really great um, for, like I say, for somebody or an individual to, to gain more responsibility and being that kind of go-to person in a business, but without necessarily having to do some of the things that might come with a, a more traditional kind of progression. Um, but I do think that there... It, it, to caveat that, I suppose there's it needs to be approached with some caution because you can't just have um, a, an agency full of individual specialists. You do need some sort of all rounders that can kind of tie that all together. So um, it's it's a difficult one to get right. But I think for agencies, probably should try and um, and be a bit more flexible in terms of how they promote and reward their people, and not just kind of think really sort of in in one kind of linear model Mm -hmm. and think about how they can kind of create more specialized positions for certain people that um, might not want to do people management for example. I think certainly some of the things that you're saying about your job which is getting under the skin of your client to to really understand their brand and to understand their company before you do anything um, that's exactly what we have to do as PR people Mm -hmm. we we do that day in day out and I think also um, pulling out the the relevant messages to sell those messages to a candidate audience again. What are people having trouble with when it comes to agencies trying to find people? Um, so I think one thing that's, I guess, shifted with the pandemic has been, um, obviously everyone's working from home and that takes a um, a certain type of person. Obviously everyone's had to work at home, but other people, some people have have coped with it slightly better than others and you need to have a certain level of being able to work relatively autonomously um being able to kind of um not i guess you don't it's it's not needing as much hand holding perhaps um as as um as you might be able to get in an, in an office environment, um, being able to kind of prioritise your activities and um, and be kind of relatively proactive, even though you're, you're working from home and you haven't got people around you to kind of bounce ideas off of. I think that's something that, that employers have now kind of shifted the focus to, and that's been quite hard for them, where before that wouldn't even have been a consideration for a, an employer to, to consider whether they would be capable working from, from home without a team around them. Now it's something they've really got to take into account and I think that has been relatively problematic for some of our for some of our clients when they've met with people that's a consideration that they're having to think about um, and sometimes it means that they, they can't hire candidates that they perhaps would have ordinarily hired because they just don't think that they would um, get up to get up to speed very quickly when they're working from home and um, and perhaps wouldn't be set up for success in the same way that they would be in an office. So, um, so that's I think quite hard for for some employers. Um, and then from a from a seniority perspective, it's the age old thing. Account managers are always the ones that are sort of hardest to find. Um, every every agency I know is looking for a good account manager, um, and every agency I know is trying their hardest to keep hold of their existing account managers and to make sure that they don't go to other agencies so there's definitely a supply demand um, issue at that sort of level Um, I guess account managers they are great all-rounders so um, you can understand why they're in high demand but it means that that's a that's a real kind of um, a real issue for lots of employers. How how long do you think somebody's an account manager for nowadays on average? Well, it's it's a really good question because I think um, 
some agencies will will kind of just do the yearly promotion cycle right. and so and automatically after like a year they'll get promoted to senior account manager and that's again problematic for the reasons that we've discussed before they they automatically get promoted without kind of um maybe being ready for it and um it's just a, a again a retention tool um but i would say probably sort of on average kind of around 18 months something like that um that they right. they would sort of be at account manager level before kind of either they would get itchy feet and be kind of looking elsewhere to, to see whether they could go up to SAM. I, I kind of, I want to be shocked that people are being automatically promoted after a year, but I'm not, I'm just bored of that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, I can't believe people are still doing it in this day and age, that you're yeah. just being promoted. Are you all serious saying that people are still being promoted because they've been there for a certain length of time? Yeah, and um, and it is, it's ultimately... A retention tool but it works both ways though i think because whilst there are people that are being promoted after a certain length of time um there are also people that are missing out on promotions because of a really structured review process right. whereby perhaps they only get reviewed every year and if they miss out on the yearly review then they don't get the opportunity to get promoted for a whole another year it's not based on merit at all so actually it works both ways it kind of it's it's not a good model regardless it, it can sometimes mean that people are promoted very very quickly just to hold on to them but it can also mean that some people are working um at the same level for a really long time purely because their promotion period just fell slightly wrong for them so it's it's not a great model um i know lots of companies that still do that um and and yeah it's um we try and encourage as many of our clients as possible to try and think about kind of rewarding and promoting based on merit as opposed to longevity. But unfortunately, in agency life, it, it's still relatively common to so, just do it based on longevity. What is the alternative? Because because the first version is it's basically like school years. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. What, what's the alternative that you're trying to encourage your clients to do? Well, I guess doing more regular appraisals, really. So I work with one client who is really great at this. They have monthly appraisals. At every monthly appraisal, they um, sit down with their line manager. They go through successes of the previous month and what they are trying to achieve um, and what they need to achieve in order to get to the next level. Um, that might be six months away. It could be 12 months away. It could be just around the corner. But at each monthly appraisal, they know exactly what's needed for them mm -hmm. to be able to step up. And because it's so regular, it could happen at any time um, in any in any month. Um, and, and, and it's really transparent and it's really clear exactly what's needed to, to what, yeah, what they need to do in order to get to that, that stage. So it, it takes more hands-on time from line managers right. it takes more um hr processes it's from a from a hr perspective it is it is trickier but it's the people there feel genuinely like they're being listened to and like their progression is going to be based on when they're absolutely ready as opposed to how long they've been at an agency so if you're struggling with that retention problem based on trying to promote people and you're messing about with this school year system of, of maybe mm -hmm. promoting someone every year, maybe not. The onus is on you to put a bit more effort into getting to know how well your staff are doing and ultimately, yeah, putting work into it. <laughs> it yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's easy, but, um, but yes, that's ultimately it's, it's your job to make sure that you're recognizing your staff when they're doing well and when they, they deserve a, a promotion. 
Um, I think, like you say, the school years thing is really interesting because, again, slightly off topic, but we we get a lot of job specs that sort of say um, minimum of X, Y, Z years of experience and um and again that's based on the fact that they kind of go right okay if they if we're looking for an account manager they probably will have been in a job for about three to four years something like that so they so we're going to put on our job spec minimum of three years experience because that's what will have happened um we all know that you might get one person that's absolutely amazing and they may have worked at an agency that is really progressive and really great at recognizing great talent and has promoted them in two years and it doesn't make them any less of a great account manager than somebody that's got four years of experience but yet that person will be penalized for being too good (laughs) because they've been promoted too quickly and that's a really frustrating thing um we work with loads of candidates that are perhaps um that have perhaps progressed slightly quicker than their peers and ultimately when it comes to moving jobs they are kind of penalized because of them right how do people feel about degrees nowadays going into PM? yeah that's that's an interesting one um thankfully less important now i think than certainly when i first started yeah. out we i the amount of clients that we spoke to when when i first started out in pr recruitment that would say we want somebody from a red brick university or from um from oxbridge or yeah some sort of uh something around kind of the the university uh side of things a a two a two one or above or um a a sort of a a what's considered as a, a great degree um yeah that that used to be commonplace asking for that um thankfully now i think most people have accepted that a degree whilst it's a measure of um of intelligence or, or ability to absorb information and regurgitate information it's not it's certainly by no means a, a an indicator of somebody's ability to to be a great pr professional so um yeah it's thankfully it's, it's less important i think for most of our clients what, what kind of qualifications do switch people on what do things people notice and go oh that she is great I think it's the qualifications that you perhaps don't have to take, but that you do off your own back, um, that you perhaps go, I I really want to know more about this area, so I'm going to upskill myself. Um, I think that's really valuable because it shows initiative. It shows that you want to learn um, and that you want to better yourself. Um, And ultimately, you are going to learn stuff from it that that perhaps you wouldn't necessarily learn in a more traditional kind of university classroom based environment. I think um, the the softer skill, like some of the things like people management experience, um, obviously, the majority of your people management experience is going to be taught on or learned on the job. Mm -hmm. But um, if you can show that you've proactively tried to better yourself as a manager and gone out there and and want to learn how to be a better manager I think that's something that employers will look at and and really value if you're an account manager I'm guessing you're are you 25 ish maybe about 25 you might have 50 years left of work I know I know it's crazy if you race to the top in like 12 years then what you can do well that's it where do you go where do you yeah and and actually I think that is a real um a real problem in PR. Obviously, in certainly in agency life, you'll see kind of directors that have got maybe like 15 years experience, um, taking them to probably what sort of like their mid-30s-ish. Um, and like you say, you could still have another sort of 30 years of, of work ahead of you. Mm. 
Um, and, and it is like, well, what do you do now? Do you go in-house and then just stagnate and just constantly be like a head of comms in-house and, and that's just it? That's just all you do? Or do you leave the industry entirely? And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people, particularly women in the PR industry, um, if they go on to have kind of children and um, and start families and, and the I guess the lack of like sort of flexible working opportunities within PR do kind of think, well, actually there's no sort of real progression for me beyond where I got to anyway in my PR career. So maybe it's time to try something completely different or you go freelance um, and you become a sort of a career freelancer. So yeah, it's a really interesting one. And I do think that there is a little bit um, and there's a challenge to retain people in the industry beyond a sort of certain, um, beyond a sort of certain level or beyond a certain number of years which is why it is quite a young industry, I suppose. Mm. It's not, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a relatively sort of young, young game. And there needs to be a level of maturity applied to communications, uh, not, not the strategy, but the tactics, the off the cuff things that are done sometimes. Having a team who, you know, there are a variety of ages helps with that. Yeah, absolutely. It really does. Um, diversity comes in all different forms mm. and age is one of them. And and actually it's one that's probably um, not talked about quite so much in, in PR. But um, but yeah, the industry I would say is probably a relatively young one and um, and, and not particularly age diverse. Um, and I think actually what, one thing that some of our, our clients do do, which is um, on the kind of years of experience thing, which is kind of frustrating, sometimes it is caveated by the fact that whilst you can all progress at different rates, I do think there is something to be said about the fact that if you have had more experience, you're likely to get more exposure to various different um, scenarios, ultimately just different things that will have happened that perhaps if you've only been, yes, that you could make account manager and you could have all the skill set, all this core skills and talent to be an account manager after two years, but you've only got two years worth of right. sort of exposure to different scenarios and different things happening, um, which is potentially a, a hindrance. You can find out more about Alex at ruben-sinclair.com. She's a recruiter, so actually you'll probably find that she's on LinkedIn all the time. Send her a message. I'm sure she'll get back to you. If you want to put a question to any of our future guest experts, go to henshelcenter.com forward slash podcasts. You'll find there's a form and there's even a way to record a voice question and you can even appear. Thanks as always for listening to Super Magic Agency Powers.